once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. And we're going back to the quarantine collection, kind of, because there's a, a big happening, a new, big, shiny, fancy streaming service is about to debut itself at the end of next month. So we're talking all things HBO Max and the streaming service. Going to give you a preview of that today, as well as going over uh, some other things that also Mike can tell you about. I am co-host Mike One. Mike, what else do we have in store for the good people today? Yeah, so first and foremost, we're going to review Bad Education, which was the latest HBO, I guess you can call it an original movie, even though they bought it last year at TIFF, as we'll go into in a minute. And then we're going to talk about all of the original movies, uh, doing a top fives, uh, dueling top fives for those. And then like you said, yeah, I mean, HBO Max, they just kind of did this big unveiling of everything that's coming. They opened up their new website. They threw out a few trailers. So a lot to talk about today, Mike. A lot of things coming to HBO. Yeah, and it truly won't be TV anymore because they're going streaming, which is like the internet and and not on TV at all. We'll get into the ins and outs and the specifics and the pricing and what's going to be on it and all that fun stuff in the HBO Max preview. That's going to be uh, on the latter part of this episode. But like Mike said, let's start it off by talking about the movie Bad Education, which as we record this on the 26th of April, uh, you're hopefully hearing it on the 27th. It did debut on HBO the night of the 25th. And Michael, we actually uh, had a fun movie for the first time in a, a while in this desolate empty landscape that has been 2020 so far it was like two and a half three weeks you know since the like netflix or amazon prime i forget what blow the man down was that yeah. the last decent you I know new so. movie that hit any of the streaming services so i mean i know the beastie boys story that's something i want to watch for mmow but i needed something good i needed something with some uh, pedigree some awards pedigree i think we got it here you have uh cory finley writer director of thoroughbreds mike that was a movie we both liked Absolutely. two years ago uh, Mike Makowski was the writer. He is not a character from Monsters, Inc., <laughs> but he almost is. So, there again, pedigree, like what I'm yeah, talking about. Right. I wonder uh, how many eyes he has, though. <laughs> I, hope to, I hope to. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> Hugh Jackman, Allison Janney, Geraldine Viswanathan, Alex Wolf, Ray Romano, you know, a huge, talented cast that we'll be talking a lot about in this episode. Again, high pedigree for this project. Yeah, and something we previewed a couple times because it was a headline-making movie before it even hit the screen, before anyone had seen it. But when people did see it, they seemed to speak as highly about it as we will be, I think. It's been well-received by critics, has a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, carries a very high 79 Metascore, especially yeah. for a TV movie, uh, as we covered last year. And like I said, HBO bought the rights of this film at the Toronto International Film Festival for $17.5 million, give or take a couple shekels. That was the high <laughs> mark for anything sold at the TIFF film market market there uh it had a trailer we really enjoyed that it ha has had some emmy buzz for good reason and we're also all over it for the hbo addition to our quarantine collection and also because we don't know what an oscar movie is quite frankly in 2020 yet because the academy hasn't told us that is very true we gotta <laughs> we gotta see what kind of eligibility requirements they change or not i mean they they may be stubborn at the end of the day mike i know we're gonna book in could this. see it yeah segment with with talk about the oscars here or the emmys here and I, I got some stats for you on the last few years but let's dive into a non-spoiler review of bad education the plot premise reads the unfolding of the single largest public school embezzlement scandal in history now 
you and I are strong proponents of stories told in two hours. I think we were starved for a story told to us in one sit down where we become enraptured, where there's this feeling of satisfaction, where there's no next episode. There's no 10 second countdown clock that always gives me anxiety, you know, before (laughs) something else plays automatically, usually that next episode. So you just get up, you're enriched. It was, it was like a bite-sized story. I love movies. And I think we were starved for a good movie. Uh, Well, absolutely. We were starved for a good movie. And you think about, what happened in 2019 when we were talking about the movie year in whole, it was like, Oh my God, all these Oscar contenders waited until the end of the year. Yeah, that was true. But still at this point last year, we had our captain Marvel fix already. We had our Avengers Endgame fix already. So we were kind of, we had quality stuff all throughout uh, pretty much the spring. And, and then we hit a little bit of a lull before the Oscar contenders came week after week. And this year in 2020, like we've been talking about, we had had nothing. I mean, we've had decent yeah. movies, but certainly haven't been, getting kind of our fix that we need as awards critics here so it was i echo your sentiments there Uh, i'm sure we might be a little biased in our grading because of that because we are so starved but uh it was nice to get something that actually felt like an awards contender so I'm wondering, on that note, I'm wondering if we will overrate this movie yeah, today. I think there's no doubt. <laughs> I mean, I think we kind of have to, but I'm okay with that right now. <laughs> I, I tried to temper myself down because I really, really enjoyed this, like thoroughly okay. enjoyed this. And Mike, I'm recontextualizing my whole gosh darn grading system because I'm giving this a B plus, but I told myself I'm not taking any points off. I'm just adding points on. I didn't come <laughs> down from 100 like I usually do with 17 different nit- nitpicks that equal a fraction of a, of a point for everything that comes off, right? No, this is a B-plus movie all day, probably a high B-plus, 88, 89, because it's a really strong story and a strong perform, you know, strong performances. Everything's strong about it. I, I'm with you. Again, I was an 88 B-plus. I think, thinking about it now, having been like 12, 14 hours removed from it, whatever it is, I don't know time, it's irrelevant in quarantine, <laughs> uh, but thinking about it, I've, I've kind of nitpicked some some things that I probably would have a bigger issue with, but it was just nice to care about something for two hours and think it has awards like, so I'm a B plus 88. That's where I landed on it. I'm going to stick with that grade and I'll, uh, you know, subject to change once the movie year comes back, if it ever truly does. Uh, yeah, I, I hope uh, we get some more of this type of yeah. entertainment over the next few months. Otherwise, it's going to be a long few months for us. Like, Because like you said, I mean, we had Crip Camp. We had Never Really, Sometimes, Always. They were already on the schedule. They right. were always, already programmed in. We kind of figured that we'd get good movies there. You know, it's nice to watch A Portrait of a Lady on Fire late. You know, it's nice to see a Blow the Man Down, which is a fun kind of small movie on Amazon Prime. But we were starved of, you know, something that felt Oscar-y. And right. this this really feels oscar I know we were getting into it on Twitter. We'll talk about it in a minute. But you have a great ensemble here. Geraldine Viswanathan, I thought, was the standout, Mike. She's she outstanding. Had, she had some great moments in Act 2. And she's going toe-to-toe with some, you know, thespians in this one. Everything was really professionally done, and the the scene that sticks out to me, we're going non-spoiler, so I'm not going to get into it too much, but there's a scene where she's having this conversation with Hugh Jackman, who to me was was equally as as impressive. I was this was probably my favorite Hugh Jackman performance I've ever I've ever yeah. seen, quite frankly. But there's a scene where the two of them are talking in the courtyard, and there's just these little touches that separate a film from being 
average or regular TV movie film to something that, you know, could stand and have awards legs and the camera's cutting back and forth. They're not sharing the screen until the, the subtext of the scene comes in and the imagery comes in. They don't share the screen until Hugh Jackman reasserts himself and actually physically puts himself next to her because mm-hmm. he's trying to coax her over to the dark side, so to speak. All those little touches were there. So, it, yes, I mean, the the performances were outstanding, but they were even heightened by the production values that were going on. But I don't think one helped more than the other. I think everything was just outstanding, uh, performances included. I, I echo what you say about Geraldine Viswanathan, and my God that I love Hugh Jackman in this as well. So Hugh Jackman, Allison Janney, you know, they have some big scenes with yep. her, Geraldine Viswanathan, and I thought she was playing fairly deferential throughout those scenes. And then she has those little moments, like you said, whether it's a roll of the eyes, because she's a little, she's a kid up against these adults, and yeah, you have the, you know, there's some big time acting across the table from her or on the bench with her, but then she, you know, she'll have a quick cut to her, just, just her face. Yeah. And you're like, wow, this kid is a talent. And I, I was, I was thrilled in that regard for a lot of the actors in this ensemble. Cause Ray Romano's doing good work still. And and we had the uh, niece of Allison Janney's character, Anna Lee Ashford. I thought she was extraordinary in some, you know, cat and mouse scenes. Yeah. So this movie had a lot of variety to it. It kind of lulled you into a false sense of security. I didn't think we were going to get such of a, you know, conspiracy laden thriller kind of domestic thriller, I guess. And, and and we got that from a terrific screenplay by Mike Wachowski or Makowski or whatever his name is. Because Mr. Wachowski. <laughs> he did a great job, man. Yeah, the screenplay was terrific. It was Oscar caliber. And I would say that again. And if the Academy does pivot to somehow open the floodgates for 2020 and just say, look, if you're a movie, you're in for 2020. And that's it's a one time exemption. And this does become Oscar caliber. I think this might have some legs to stand on, at least insofar as what we have seen for 2020 right now. Now, uh, I think the screenplay did a great job with character development. And like you said, not only did everyone kind of have their own scenes to shine in and their roles to play, and they did them all incredibly well, but you're getting background about all these characters too. You're getting mm-hmm. the, you know, these, the home life for the racial character, who is what Viswanathan's character's name was. You're getting the, the background to Frank's character, which is Hugh Jackman's character. You're getting uh, not this... Allison Janney is, you think she's going to be the big bad the way the movie leads off, but she's not somebody who's indignant. She knows she's doing wrong. She's a, she's a, a realist. And we find out that the narcissist is someone else it, it really just professionally done job all the way around. And the screenplay, it was excellent. Quite, quite truly. It's a bit of a slow burn. It's a bit of an onion kind of film. And it's that kind of movie that feels like it should be on HBO. Like this feels like a lot of HBO original movies that we're going to talk about in a minute here, Mike. But I guess let's, you know, break into the awards conversation for a hot, hot second. We have this film being released at the end of April. The Emmy eligibility requirements, at least as previously understood, would go to the end of May. So essentially what this is, you know, for the Emmys, it's like a November release for the Oscars, right? Mm-hmm. So this seemed to be clearly an right. Emmys property. But look at this stat here. Out of the last two years, and we have limited series or movie categories, right? We got basically limited series or movie, the category. We got the their four acting categories. We got directing and writing. 
last year at last year's Emmys, none of them came from original films, TV movies. The year before, we had two nominations for Paterno, and I think two or three nominations for Jesus Christ Superstar, which is not a movie, it's a special, it's a variety right. special huh. on NBC. So limited series have been dominating the or movie part of this. And I would say this movie probably has just as good of a chance to get into the uh, get into the Oscars somewhere in this diluted year than it would an Emmys category where you're not going to see a change to the limited series available at this point in their calendar. I think it's almost unfair. I mean, this is the exact same problem that the documentary, the feature documentary category had at the Academy, and that's why they made the change. With movie making and television making, just cinema, screen life, whatever you want to call it as, every form of entertainment being what it is and being so high class mm-hmm. and channels taking their television properties more seriously and miniseries coming off as 10-hour movie events, essentially, and how they play and how we remember them, it's almost unfair to have a, a two-hour morsel go head-to-head with, like, a, a, a big little lies for instance you're not like you're not of course you're going to get more to chew on with the big little lies because the writing is so high quality throughout so i think they might want to take a page from the academy and separate those once and for all and have a mini series category and a tv movie category uh that said in a world in which this does compete for oscars we're talking just movie specifically it's hard to find many glaring faults with this And I think it stacks up well with other things, whether you're talking about Emmy-winning TV movies or Oscar-caliber movies. I I don't think... I think this one can be right in line with them. It's going to be seen as as very of the same quality to me. Well, Hugh Jackman's performance would have been a shoo-in, in my opinion. And this movie, you know, a couple years ago when Call Call Me By Your Name had no competition, right? right? You know, this would have done well or at least been nominated most likely in the adapted screenplay category. I think in, you know, in this coming year, you're going to get, no matter what happens, you know, when we have the Oscars, if we had the Oscars in May, we'll see. But no matter what happens, you're probably getting a diluted field. And uh, it's probably too late in the game for this movie to switch but they're they're dealing with the unfairness, just like you know everybody dealt with the unfairness of O.J. Made in America right, going exactly. against it in the documentary film category. So you're absolutely right. I mean, the limited series are dominating the movies, and it's not fair. They probably got a, a better chance of getting nominated, you know, and they have more categories obviously to get nominated in on the Oscar side of things. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if they make a Look, late change. I'll be, I'll be honest, Mike. I think Hugh Jackman, I mean, if, if we're, this is an Oscars movie, I, I think he's the leader in the clubhouse for me right now. Mm-hmm. Out of any leading male performance I've seen in a movie for 2020 or a new property Definitely. for 2020, uh, he's, he's the head and shoulders. He's the front runner right now, which is ironic Absolutely. because he was supposed to be the front runner from the front runner, and that movie fell off a cliff. That is ironic, and that movie did fall off a cliff, and I think there was people falling off a cliff on the poster. On the poster, that's right. The campaign bus was driving off the cliff. Exactly. So we're all coming meta and full circle here. Yeah, good meta memory by you. You got anything else on uh, bad education, or you want to get in our top fives here? Yeah, we uh, look, this is a watch for both of us. Obviously, Mm -hmm. this is one of the highest grades of the year for both of us for good reason. Uh, If you think you know this story, and even I would say if you do, in fact, know this story, watch it, because it's it's just engrossing. I mean, the for, yeah. for performances are there. It's high quality. It's Oscar level off the board. It even gives you kind of a funky ending that you can play with and kind of interpret. So it's all there for you. If you're a high class uh, movie watcher, if you're looking for something high quality, uh, this will satiate you for a fun hundred minutes, 110 minutes. Definitely. All right, Mike. So we're going to get into our all time 
top fives for the HBO original movie slate. And I got a couple of caveats here to explain, you know, what we're choosing from. Number one, HBO films, they release movies in theaters from My Big Fat Greek Wedding to Good Hair, the Notorious Betty Page, I think was one of those. Anyway, Maria Full of Grace, Real Women Have Curves, Curves, American Splendor. All of those were movies that got a theatrical release. I'm not considering those films here. Obviously, I'm not considering miniseries or docuseries or documentaries in general for this list either. So this is just HBO original movies. There's plenty to choose from i will have a big list uh do you want to just go right to our fives buddy yeah go ahead lead it off there pal what's your number five okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna start with paterno a little bit of a recency bias but it was you know two two-time emmy nominated for a reason this is an intense film great performance by pacino his best performance probably of the last few years unless you choose another hbo movie he did riley keogh is awesome i thought they had some good football in this movie which was shocking and then you get into the nightmarish weight of this scandal that i thought they you know uh portrayed fairly well it's another thing that had an hbo is, is key for this they take these real life stories they adapt them into film versions and they're just they're spectacular and they're able to bring out little things and for uh, paterno is my number four as a matter of fact, but because mm. of the reasons that some of the reasons you said, it's an old school Pacino performance. It's one of his better ones. They do give you that kind of that interesting ending. I think that ending has stuck with me more than many others about my God, what they're talking about in that movie. And it's almost uh, worth it just for the payoff of that ending, but it is such a heavy handed story. Something about these HBO originals that allow Al Pacino to hit the Wayback machine, right? And just bring fire. I mean, what, what he does in these versus what he's done in like the 88 minutes, those types of movies that have come out it's like two different guys quite frankly like the theatrical releases he's putting on caricatures of himself sometimes Mm -hmm. but when anytime he has to go to the well for an hbo original movie the guy brings it and it's not going to be the last time i mention him in my personal top five quite frankly well i think you're right on and i think his costumers over at hbo help him because yes (laughs) he's got some outlandish looks but I, I think it's top notch like he's playing phil Spector, and he's playing you know some renowned you know, public figures and he looks exactly like them. You're not, yeah. you're not, point. you're not just saying while during these, you know, Pacino, uh, HBO films, you're not just saying, all right, this is an Al Pacino movie. No, you, I mean, you, he immerses himself in the role and they're very different. And, and it's not just him going, you know, scent of a woman who, ah, ah, ah. he's not doing that. <laughs> he's, he's really doing a nice job. And, and, and these characters are larger than life. I mean, he's playing them a bit as caricatures at times, but I, I really, I really love every single one of those movies. They were hard to omit on my list, uh, but you know, some other films are there, I guess. Yeah, I like I said, I got one more that's going to be higher up in my top five of his. But uh, that was my four Paterno. That's actually also interesting. No, that's the only film we cross over with. It's surprising, but there's a lot of good movies. There, yeah, that's that's the the amount of quality that the, that HBO has produced. My number five was Sixty One, the old Billy Crystal movie. We just talked about it. We just previewed mm. it. It's more nostalgia driven than it is me having rewatched watch it anytime soon i'm sure it wouldn't hold up uh, if i were to rewatch it now but it's just you know that was an appointment viewing for my life and it was a sentimental moment mm-hmm. and i know my whole family was excited to watch it and so i remember to this day gathering around the tv our old tv back in the day and and watching it and it also was uh, responsible for my berry pepper man crush so uh <laughs> 61 gets kind of the sentimental place for my number five uh what's your number four there mike so yeah, sixty one's a heck of a movie, and it's still a fun rewatch. Even Does it though, still hold up? 
Well, as a film critic, I mentioned this on our baseball show. Like, there, I have issues with the the filmmaking of it and the storytelling right. of it and the acting in it. I was surprised to see that, uh, you know, years later since I saw it. You know, probably the last time I saw it was a couple Fourth of Julys ago, I think, when I was in college or something. It was a right. long time ago. <laughs> which oh, it's, I just said it was a couple years ago, but that's actually like 10 years ago. Good <laughs> God. Life. And that's the last we'll speak about that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. Too Big to Fail. Speaking of, you know, just getting out of college. Too Big to Fail is my number four. It's about the financial crisis made in 2011. So this is kind of a guilty pleasure for me. So I'm not just doing best films. Like I'd never seen The Normal Heart. I've never seen Sometimes in April. Those are more critically acclaimed, more awarded. And I, I probably should see those. But the, every one of these movies, Mike, is kind of like about, you know, a natural disaster or a human disaster in many right. ways. They're like <laughs> right. each their own Chernobyl. So they're tough watches <laughs> in, in so many ways here. I think Too Big to Fail about the financial crisis makes that whole nightmare as entertaining as you can, even though it's like rewatching it recently. It's like two hours of exposition dumps, but... I kind of don't care because I like learning about it. I just remember the anger I felt. I always feel anger anytime it comes to mm. 2008 stuff and the, the documentaries I've watched and this included. I just remember being like, you bastards, all of you. Mm -hmm. How can, like, what did you think was going to happen? And uh, it, it doesn't help anything. It's not even cathartic. I just leave bitter and angry and upset. So, uh, yeah, that did a good job of bringing out those emotions in me. <laughs> I guess I'll move on to my three, and it's the special relationship. And this is a strange movie to pick here, I think. And I don't think most people would remember this film. This is from 2010. This is the Bill Clinton-Tony Blair movie, where Michael Sheen is always Tony Blair, of course. Dennis Quaid <laughs> is Bill Clinton in this, written by Peter Morgan. Okay, so that that's why I like this, because Peter Morgan wrote all of The Queen, right. Michael. And I've always loved... You know, his stuff about the Royals. And he's written a lot of stuff about the Royals. He's made a career on it. So once I discovered this movie a few years ago, it's become my, like, you know, go-to going-to-sleep film. I'll watch half of it one night. I'll watch the next half the next night. And then I'll put it on again. I'll be able to go to sleep. I'll be able to go to sleep. And then, like, for, you know, the, the final night, I, I ended up staying up and watch the whole thing. So I'll watch it, like, twice in a week sometimes I do this. I have no life and nobody else in my bed other than a dog because I'm a single man, as you can tell. So this this is a movie I just keep rewatching a million times. It's there's something so familiar about it. And it so the just special works. relationship that brings out the special relationship in you is your relationship with sleep that this movie helps you with. Which I, I'll be exactly. honest, this is not one I've ever seen. Uh, I think. Dennis Quaid trying to cosplay as Bill Clinton kind of put me off because I can't imagine that's great. This, how does he do with that role? I thought he plays it like Dennis Quaid, just like oh, yeah. frowning a lot. You know, there's a lot of brow. <laughs> you know, I, I, again, HBO, great costumes. Like, they don't overdo it with Dennis Quaid. They just give him, you know, the silver fox hairdo. That's all. So, well, I, nice job by HBO with the costumes. Well, I do share the sentiment with my number three being political as well. Uh, my number mm. three is Recount. This was the story from two. There's a movie 2008. It was the story about the 2000 presidential election, yes. the Bush v. Gore, uh, the 
truly horrific SCOTUS decision that may arguably be the most batshit Supreme Court ruling of the past 50 years, which was a, a big topic of discussion in my First Amendment class way back in law school. All of it. Uh, I just remember being entranced with each of the lead performances here. I remember thinking Kevin Spacey, you know, as much as we can't say his name anymore glowingly, he put on a great performance then. Yeah. Dennis Leary was a big part of it. Laura Dern as well. Great cast. Jay Roach. This was my first exposure to Jay Roach film, and he actually won <laughs> a, uh, a DGA award for uh, TV movie back in 2009 for this. Uh, I think if you're a political junkie like I kind of am as an armchair political junkie, I think this speaks to you. I think this gives you a lot of goods. Uh, and I can... I think I only saw it the one time when it was on live on TV, but it's one that stuck with me over the years. Yeah, this was a hard omission for me. I really like this movie going back. Game Change was another one. I think uh, yeah. you get some phenomenal one. Right. Oh, uh, you get Julianne Moore as Sarah Palin, Laura Dern as, oh, what's her name, Mike? God. Thank uh, God. We... I for... No, listen. Thank God I forgot her name because <laughs> I don't want to be living in that year anymore. <laughs> Well, if we're she, on that year in steroids, I think, right now. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, it, fine. But I did, like, that point in our lives where we're in college right. and we're watching this go down, if that person in Florida, oh, you know, governing the election yep. was a name on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, I know. I can't remember. 20 years later, exactly that would be bad. talking about, right? All right. <laughs> Crazy makeup, let's just say. <laughs> Mike, my number two is the Tuskegee Airmen, and I can't say that title properly. But Tuskegee. Tuskegee, thank you. Yeah. Awesome movie, and it's, it's been an awesome movie for a long time because this is from 1995. Courtney B. Vance, Lawrence Fishburne, Cuba Gooden Jr., Mackay Pfeiffer, and then you got like Theo Huxtable, Shooter McGavin's a bad guy in it. <laughs> Mike, what if Top Gun was actually like smart and serious and, and had great drama and it was historically important? I mean, this is a movie about pilots of World War II in the fighting 99th. It is just incredible. There's great scenes. And Courtney B. Vance, some of his best scenes of his career. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of this. You can I just rewatched it again. It's on Amazon Prime. And it was gonna be it was gonna barely make my list, but then I bumped it up a couple more spots because it's got, you know, awesomely bad 90s score, operatic right. score. Sure. Other than that, terrific film. It, it's always been terrific. I have two thoughts. One, you mentioned that's on Amazon Prime right now. A lot of these HBO originals are on Amazon Prime. Right. I wonder how long that contract is for because they're all obviously all going to be available on HBO Max. Uh, mm -hmm. So I wonder if HBO is going to bother sharing their properties or running that license or renewing that deal with Amazon. I can't imagine that to be the case. But regardless, that's one. Two, uh, Tuskegee Airmen, yes, I remember it. I did like the movie, but mm -hmm. based on your pitch right there, all I want now is to see Theo Huxtable <laughs> shooting down Shooter McGavin, both in character, over the Pacific somewhere. So that's uh, Shoot, that's what stuck with yeah. me in my brain. Shooter McGavin, mano y mano with Theo Huxtable. Right. And see <laughs> but this in movie. those characters. That's like I want. I want it to be Shooter McGavin and to be Theo. That's that's what I want out of this. Um, my number two. I don't know if I'm cheating here, but honestly, mm -hmm. Bad Education is probably my number two. I was very high on it. I just told you all about why earlier yeah. in this episode. It's gonna stick there for me right now. Uh, but so I'll go to number one. And my number one, like I said, it's another Pacino carried film. Uh, you. You don't know Jack. 
It's about the assisted suicide work and the preceding trial of Dr. Jack Kevorkian. Both Pacino and Barry Levinson, who was the director, I thought brought outstanding mm-hmm. work to this movie. They both kind of hit the wayback machine and were firing 95 on the corner to bring you a baseball analogy. Uh, Pacino won the Golden Globe. It's his most recent Golden Globe win for his work in this movie. He won Best Actor in a made-for-TV movie or miniseries back in 2011. I cannot recommend this movie enough. Uh, it's got a lot. It's got a lot of courtroom drama in it. It's got a lot of you know uh, behind-the-scenes medical medical drama in it. A lot of people speak highly about this as well. Uh, it carries a 7.6 on IMDb on over 25,000 reviews. It also has a 91 critic score and an 83 audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So high marks all around. And I'm just another one of the the lemmings that say that I think uh, you don't know Jack is outstanding. I was tempted to put both of those movies on this list. I mean, Bad Education, uh, it, it's a high grade for me, probably the highest I remember grading an yeah. HBO film. I mean, like The Wizard of Lies, I thought it was a B-plus for me, but I don't remember. I was that surprised. That was, that was your biggest omission that surprised me, because I remember you yeah. speaking so highly about both Pfeiffer and De Niro's work in The Wizard of Lies. I was surprised you didn't put it on here. But that, again, just could- speaks to the quality of what HBO does. I could only watch it once. It was like yeah. such a downer. And that's probably the same for You Don't Know Jack. So I picked right. a lot of movies on this list that I've rewatched a hundred times. And my number one is is definitely one of those. All the way. This is the story about Lyndon B. Johnson with Bryant Cranston. It's my favorite of these movies. And I literally have put it on to fall asleep like for two weeks straight at a time <laughs> at one point. And it actually works like a charm. But the problem is like the next day I'll finish re- watching the movie that night. And I right. just can't help it. Like, cause I, oh, where did I pick off? Where, where did I fall asleep? But it's such a melodic, you know, script. And I love scripts like this. Steve Jobs is another one. Like you could just, you know, put it on in the background while you're typing something out. And it's it's just so musical. It's one of the better screenplays, you know, I've come across in TV movies, Mike, maybe other than, and this doesn't really count, the 12 Angry Men that came on like cable TV or TNT or something with uh, James Gandolfini or whatever right, that right, was right. on. That was pretty damn good. But, I mean, Brian Cranston's performance is fun. You got a lot of celebrities in this one. I thought it was a piece of history. And, uh, you know, it's really a, a, a historical saga. So I always do the same thing with this movie. I fast forward the Kennedy stuff that opens it up. Like, I don't want to <laughs> relive. Not that I lived it, but I'm just saying it's the sad part. And then the rest of it's like this upbeat, you know, primary colors kind of a political film. And yeah, it has some serious moments, but I just, I, I love this movie. And it gets dark, and I'm dark in terms of my mood most times. Right. So I, I like how it, how it thinks about politics. He's like, everybody's shit. Politics <laughs> is war. I'm a big fan of this movie. And that's how we got Veep. Uh, no, that's that's not the first time you've spoken very highly about that movie. I have not uh, taken the dive in. I have to watch it. And it was in the middle of, uh, that came out in the middle of uh, the Brian Cranston uh, mania that was going on right. too, if I remember right, during his, uh, his big Breaking Bad run. So uh, I remember there was a lot of noise about him getting that role and, uh, and playing it. And people were very, very excited for it so i have to uh, take the dive but i think that's a good uh, a good table setter about what you can expect if you do take the dive with hbo max the streaming service uh, and what you can expect and just the quantity of quality that hbo has put forth in their original movies all throughout the years i mean we have movies in our top fives that go back to the 90s and they had a whole decade before that that they were churning out original content as well but let's go forward mike and talk about the streaming service itself we'll set the table a little further here about what hbo max will bring and have to offer for its price tag soon. 
So first things first, you have their HBO library. You have The Wire, The Sopranos, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Game of Thrones, Succession, True Detective. Pick one of those series right now as your number one. God damn it. Right. Go ahead. No, I'm asking you. Oh, you're asking me. Oh, Jesus. I thought you were telling me Right now. Pick one. Oh, my God. You have to. Quickly. Quickly. Quicklier than you're doing now. The Sopranos. This is this is an improv. All right, good. It has like, to be. I, like I, I want, I want to say the wire, but the wire does not hold up. Already, it it feels very antiquated because it's yeah. so reliant on technology. I almost wanted to rewatch the wire with the Ringers, you know, series on it. Right. But I, I, I can't. I just can't bring myself to do it yet. If this quarantine goes longer, I will rewatch <laughs> it. Mike, there's all kinds of uh, original movies like we just talk talked about, but they got. Original documentaries, and some of these are great. Like Going Clear, we'll talk about a phenomenal film about Scientology. They do miniseries like John Adams, Olive Kittredge, you know, a lot of names in the miniseries. There's one more with Kate Winslet. I think it was a, the name. It was named after a name, so somebody's name. Anyway, oh, all magic- I can think of is John from Cincinnati, and I know that's not it. <laughs> That's not it. That's very not it. Uh, we have Magic and Bird. We have Andre the Giant. We have What's My Name, Muhammad Ali, McEnroe Borg. All their sports series are great, Mike. I completely agree. And they've been one of our go-tos for the you know, the sports. They were the forerunner to what mm-hmm. ESPN started doing because of Bill Simmons. And Bill Simmons has commented on this a bunch of times. They were the 30 for 30 before 30 for 30 was a thing. But that's just what they dealt with in sports. They also had those sprawling documentaries calling, covering all kinds of cultural touchstones and moments uh, that you already talked about there. And in terms of the upcoming HBO Max film library, you're getting most everything from Warner Brothers, from the DC yeah. films, from Wonder Woman to Joker, to the Matrix trilogy, to the Conjuring universe. You got classics in there like Casablanca, the new Oscar movie like A Star is Born. You have acquisitions through New Line like The Lord of the Rings to Studio Ghibli anime films like Spirited Away. Uh, you have have everything basically under the WB umbrella all coming to HBO Max. They've been spending big money on some episodic TV that isn't under the WB umbrella currently. Mm-hmm. We've talked about on MMO Weekly the money they spent on getting the Friends license, the money they've spent on getting the South Park license. Stupid money. Uh, half a billion dollars each, I think those were. Uh, the <laughs> Doctor Who show is going to be there. The Fresh Prince library of episodes is going to be there. The Big Bang Theory. Not sure why you'd watch that, but I guess that'll be there if that's your type of thing. It's not mine. <laughs> West Wing, if you haven't been able to catch it on netflix yet that's also going to be moving over to hbo max they are also producing a lot of kids content with the ips of sesame street the not so late show with elmo they have looney tune stuff (laughs) as well obviously they're also owners of the cartoon network so that means rick and morty adventure time those are going to be up there on streaming for from day one they also are going to have new series like adventure time distant lands and close enough and probably we would think a lot of the adult swim library this is all coming off as an infomercial for hbo max but this isn't an advertisement (laughs) we're literally just reading the shit that they have spent money on to put into hbo max and it speaks to a lot of the stuff you hear us talk about weekly when we have free watching anyway yeah, and, and that's not even it, Mike. They have TBS, right. TNT, True TV, the CW. They all fall under the umbrella of Time Warner. Now, the big question is, are they going to put all their eggs in the HBO Max basket here? Or are they going to leave Snowpiercer on TNT? Are they going to leave Conan O'Brien stuff on TBS and the Impractical Jokers on True TV? Or is all of this stuff going to find its way to their streaming service? I guess it's probably going to depend, 
you know, we're going to have to wait and see. Well, they they have so much. And AT&T, we've been talking throughout our ORCs and our MMOWs as well. AT&T has been spending just just insane amounts of money for years pretty mm-hmm. much just gathering material and gathering IP and gathering licenses for this reason. And it's, they're coming out the gates with Netflix squarely in their sights. And I've been excited for a long time for HBO max because of the umbrella of stuff that they cover throughout all different channels, sports, pop culture, TV, cartoons, etc. So I don't think we're going to get it all at once. I think that would be actually stupid to get it all at once uh, and to get everything at your disposal from day one. And I think they're wiser than that too. And they know that while yes, they have this streaming service at their fingertips and they're going to sell it for a very premium price. We're going to talk about that. It's going to be the most expensive uh, streaming fee right now for the basic packages. I I think they know they have to keep, you know, true TV afloat for right now. The Turner, the TNT networks and the TBS network isn't going anywhere off of cable as it is right now, because cable, as much as it's dying rapidly, is still probably a viable revenue stream. Uh, So I think they're going to play it smart. That'd be my take and my guess on it. So I do think they are going after Netflix, like you said, and they're doing it the same way Netflix has succeeded. They're doing it by trying to bring everybody into the tent with with kids con- uh, content, with uh, with all kinds of sitcoms that you'll watch again and again, always keeping their streaming service on with premium new stuff that we'll get into more of in a minute. And then obviously a huge library that HBO has, that Warner Brothers has, Mike. And uh, unlike what you said, though, I think maybe you misspoken there. They are going to put all of that stuff right on. Yeah. Let me, let me clean launches. that up. I, th- I think that's true and that's what they should do. I think with the, the licenses they do have, the Friends Library, the South Park, yeah, I expect all yeah. that to be there day one. What I meant was like the current season of Impractical Jokers, I think they're going to have like the Netflix model. You're going to have to wait some time before that's run its course on VOD to keep True TV subscribers interested before that makes its way over to HBO Max. That'd be my guess. But yeah, I hmm. think everything, a lot of the licenses they've collected, sure, I expect that there day one as well. Now, they are doing something different with these TV series, though. They got a lot of new TV series. They got a couple reboots here and continuations. But, Mike, they're going to release these once a week. You know, I guess one new episode a week from in most cases. So they're going a different route than just the binge model that Netflix has made famous. So that that's an interesting change. That is interesting, and it's more, you know, I guess it makes sense to... The serialization, Netflix has kind of been the forerunner, obviously, of dumping it all on you and you watch it and binge it as ever you like. And I was curious to see if streaming is going to adapt that model. HBO seems to be resisting against it right now anyway. And so in that vein, going weekly and resisting the Netflix model, we're going to have some older shows that are getting reboots or getting continuations from other areas. Gossip Girl, Kristen Bell's going to be back for that, mm-hmm. for the reboot of that series. Uh, Search Party, which was on TBS, the Alia Shawcott show there, is going to be moving its way over to HBO Max for season four. There's also The Flight Attendant, which is an eight-episode thriller series starring Kaylee Cuoco. We have Expected Amy, which is a three-part docuseries about Amy Schumer. Uh, Legendary, that's about underground ballroom dancing as well. There's going to be DC's Doom Patrol. Uh, there's going to be Love Life, which is a romantic comedy and anthology starring Anna Kendrick. There's all sorts of these properties coming out. And so do we know if those are all going to be serialized weekly at this point? No, but if the model that they're trying to resist is Netflix's dump and binge model, then I would think any kind of new property, they're going to make you wait weekly for, if not, you know, bi-weekly or even more to kind of get the anticipation up. And honestly, if you're a streaming service, why wouldn't you do that? Like it's, 
going to help you keep subscriptions, I would think, if you're releasing on a weekly basis or people that have to follow a show from month to month. But again, I'm just sitting in a basement talking into a microphone when I say that. Well, Hulu differentiated themselves from Netflix by by doing this. And, and in part, I think that's because they have so many television stations, so many cable stations that are basically right. crossing over to Hulu that if they, you know, dumped some stuff and then they they didn't dump the rest, they just put out one one a week in terms of the rest of their stuff, it might be weird. So they they bought into the whole once a week thing on Hulu for the most part. I know they've dumped a few things actually, I should backtrack. But Michael, I do think this is HBO Max trying to differentiate themselves from Netflix. And I think, like you're saying, it's smart and savvy in the sense that you're not trying to fall into the Disney Plus trap. And if we didn't have a global pandemic now, I do wonder how Disney Plus would have fared if they didn't have if they had such a gap in new content like they wound up having you know, without all of the kids needing to watch something like Disney Plus right now in, in, in the midst of a global crisis. Yeah, because- I think that's a great point. And I I almost, I throw Apple in there too. It's kind of remarkable to see the, the such established brands that have been around entertainment and producing entertainment for as long mm-hmm. as Disney has. Somebody who's, you know, been it's a different form of entertainment, but now they're getting into original programming the way Apple is. That, these lulls that they're facing in the age of Netflix is almost striking, if not shocking, because the only content is king right now in the streaming world, right? Mm -hmm. You have to keep producing stuff. And that's why Netflix, you know, they can talk about their debt sheet all you want. You can talk about the quality of the different programs they have, but they have something for any type of viewer out there. And they've kind of figured this out. And yeah, it took them years to get to this point, but they're releasing new shit pretty much, I mean, on a monthly basis, if not weekly. So they know you have to keep the consumer entertained. You got to keep giving them anything And it's shocking to see Disney not follow suit in that way. It's shocking to see Apple kind of drag their feet in that way and just kind of give you what they had at the outset and then say, all right, we'll see you guys in a couple years. Well, that's why Disney Plus is basically saying, okay, Artemis Fowl, you get moved over there. Okay, Onward. Okay, Toy Story 4, you get bumped up. Frozen 2, you get bumped up. And it's not just a pandemic-induced you know, moved by Disney Plus. I do think Disney Plus had a, they, they figured that their Disney library would have just worked. And I think this point also works for Apple TV Plus because they only have the, all right, one original movie and one new TV series a month, right? right. Or maybe one other thing, maybe an Oprah show or whatnot. Is that enough to keep people playing the $5 a month? I don't know. I I think everybody's in such an on-demand culture now, Mike, that I'd probably rather pay $5 a month for something that I actually want to watch, that I sought out, and not something that was curated for me. I'm still paying for Apple TV+. Plus. I want to watch the Beastie Boys documentary. Then I'm probably going to decide. But I, I think this is smart by HBO Max. They're doing... A little, they're kind of doing a little bit of what worked for Hulu early on for Hulu, but they they also got stuff that you can binge. A couple more things: Raised by Wolves, that's going to be a sci-fi series from Ridley Scott. On the record is supposed to be an Oscar and Emmy contending documentary about Drew Dixon, who during the Me Too movement accused music mogul Russell Simmons of sexual misconduct. And finally, we have you know another acquisition that we covered on the show in the past. Let them all talk. 
Buck. This is a road trip movie with Meryl Streep, Candace Bergen, Diane Weist, Lucas Hedges, and Gemma Chan, directed by Steven Soderbergh. So a lot of you know major properties, I think, debuting with the series at the end of May. They'll be coming out one episode a week, like we've been saying, but there's a lot of new stuff available immediately. There's a lot of old stuff that you can binge. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, as far as stuff that is upcoming and is going to be on that cha- on HBO Max eventually, there's a Green Lantern series in the work. Uh, we just covered a story on J.J. Abrams producing yeah. both a DC Dark and a Shining Universe show uh, series for them. We've talked about, the, there's a Friends reunion special. We've talked <laughs> about that a few times, and new HBO content will show there as well and be a major part of their programming the cinemax library however will not be coming soon um we'll see if that changes at some point in the future but isn't that weird yeah i mean i think anything that's that's under the the hbo or the wider you know turner umbrella or the wider at&t umbrella should be subject to making its way over but again maybe it's they're just dragging their feet and holding off and not doing a total license dump for everything for day one and trying to make you think that you know build some anticipation with you yeah, maybe. But, I mean, maybe they think they have enough, and then right. yeah, they're leaving. They're seeing if Cinemax can exactly. stand on its own. I don't know. But this is going to be a, an inflection point, and I think the streaming wars are kind of getting to this point of no return because it is going to be the most expensive streaming option, right? It's going to be fourteen ninety nine a month. Yeah, that's the most expensive. That's about two dollars more a month over Netflix. If you get Netflix, which is thirteen bucks a month, HBO Max fifteen bucks a month. Apple TV, five bucks a month. Disney Plus, Hulu, uh, ESPN Plus for $13 a month. You're talking more upwards of 50, 60 bucks a month now, even if you did cut the cord with cable. That's a lot of money for <laughs> certainly a, a, a quarantine or a global pandemic when money's tight as it is. The introduction of HBO Max might be a tipping point for people, uh, subscribers of other streaming services, to make a decision. No? It's going to be a decision point for me, I think. I'm going to be looking at this question seriously once this debuts the end of May. I mean, I was kind of looking at this on the calendar saying, all right, maybe that's when I'll figure it out and procrastinate until then. But yeah, I'm, I'm you, you know we're paying extra for these other services that kind of overlap. Like, why would you have cable and Hulu? Does right. that make any sense? You know, may, maybe we got to get like Sling TV or j- just somehow we got to get Yankee games. That's the problem. Some, <laughs> the sports is the big problem. I don't know for you if the wrestling is a big problem. Well, so, I mean, that's another ten bucks a month. You know, WWE Network, right? So mm-hmm. le- like, there's coming a point here with cord cutters where there's some serious decisions you're going to have to pick and choose and HBO Max might be the introduction of the big wave of that and how how great the quarantine has been for all these streaming services this may be a huge disruptor entering the field it's definitely going to create a major turning point eventually mike however i think all of these streaming services in terms of sheer profit margins what they need to survive starting out they may all win like even Quibi, which probably would have died a much swifter death if there wasn't a global pandemic, might be surviving longer than it would have in these times where people just would need to watch anything. You know, we right. might have a streaming war where everybody gets stronger and then once life gets back to normal, now we have the ultimate showdown. Now we have the fight. Now we have you know, the big question of what people are going to do with their disposable income when disposable income can actually be spent at bars and restaurants and, you know, all those other entertainments out there when we can resume normal life. 
Well, there's an also an interesting question about what frontiers are next because streaming seems to be has be set with recorded content, and so obviously live entertainment is still out there, and that's the cable network's bread and butter, like you just said, with sports yeah. and concerts and and all that fun stuff. I mean, cable networks live and die right now because of their sports contracts. The broadcast networks do, uh, with how much money those bring in for them, and that's all the advertising money that they generate. So you figure it's only a matter of time before some streaming service tries to dip its toe in there we have obviously the zone has already started to do that as well as uh, some other wrestling networks uh, it's 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 a fascinating time and where where we all thought cable tv would be affected i think that's next on the horizon is these mm-hmm. live entertainment aspect and that avenue and it's just we're around the precipice of some kind of gigantic industry shaking stuff uh and we're all chained to our houses and can't go outside to talk about it with one another we can't, but we got uh, something to look forward to because, you know, for AT&T customers, I don't think they get charged extra. I think, like, I'm not an AT&T guy, so I, I wonder if, you know, I will. Anyway, I at worst, it's like 5 bucks a month because HBO's 10 right? Something so, like that, yeah. Yeah, so it's worth doing. Still, they always get you to pay more, don't they? Well, they always get. That's... It's always like, yeah, you know, you you should switch to the cool new thing here. You know, ten the extra ten dollars a month, an extra five dollars a month. It's always, always. Brad Pitt lives in mansions for a reason, you know. They they keep finding money to give him to play Anthony Fauci on SNL. But that's something we could talk about on our next episode. This episode was all about HBO Max, about bad education, and our top five HBO original movies. We obviously want to hear from you, dear listener, on any of those topics, as well as anything else we cover here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com, dot com. Um, and on Reddit, we are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. And if you're letting us try and entertain you during quarantine, we cannot thank you enough. If you would be so kind as to take a couple seconds out of your day and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would go a long way for us. Michael, what are some words of wisdom? And then tell us what's coming next from MMO. So it is wise not to be a New York football Giants fan. That's for I think fucking you and I- sure. You and I are kind of upset after the uh, the decisions our, our personnel people made nice. at the NFL draft. But it is wise to read The Athletic. I read read it like crazy this weekend. That's 10 bucks a month, but it's it's pretty good. Or maybe they're only charging me 250 I have to look at a bank statement. <laughs> As I remember, you said 250 I was like, ooh, it's extra 750 Might be for new subscribers, bank. but I don't, I don't remember. Well, I, I am know. one. Oh, there you go. Anyway. Lindsay Jones, uh, she reviewed draft day with us. That's a fun retrospective. Go back for that. See how we did with our picks at the tail end of that episode. We'll have a little more on the draft on MMOW and what we're watching, but we're not going to get into a major discussion because that would be too depressing. However, Mike, we do have an MMOW that's going to be loaded with a ton of new stuff to review from SNL to The Last Dance, Michael Jordan, to a bunch more movies that dropped on Netflix, for instance. Uh, and then we got a lot of news, a lot, so much news. And Brad never Pitt, like you stops. said, but so much news. Yeah, it never, both Brad Pitt and the news never <laughs> stop. <laughs> uh, guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies and maybe even HBO Max if you're so inclined with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See you.